regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm so glad you joined us on the program today. We're going to be talking about what's going on in New York. The uh, Well, not just New York. A number of the blue states around the country that have responded to the uh, Supreme Court's decision, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, by basically giving the court a, a gigantic middle finger and uh, passing all kinds of laws that uh, are already being challenged. I mean, every day at Bearing Arms right now, we are uh, reporting on new lawsuits, not only filed against uh, existing gun control laws, but against uh, some of the new laws that have been put on the books just in the past couple of weeks. At the Hill, uh, constitutional law professor Jonathan Turley has a uh, an op-ed out, um, Democrat Second Amendment Syndrome Plan, plotting the next big fight over gun rights. He says in the movie The Incredibles, the, uh, the villain Syndrome reveals a plan to make everyone a superhero. Uh, the motive hardly altruistic. He hated superheroes, and with everyone super, no one will be. Turley says that Democratic leaders seem to be planning their own syndrome plan for the Second Amendment to make everywhere a special or sensitive place so that few places outside of the home are protected by our right to keep and bear arms. I, I think he's right. It goes far beyond sensitive places, however. Uh, but this is an op-ed that Jonathan Turley is writing, not a, uh, a, a book or a compendium of uh, all of the restrictions that uh, gun control activists and anti-gun politicians have put in place over the past couple of weeks. Uh, but uh, uh, to Turley's point, he says that uh, New York Governor Kathy Hochul and others uh, are, quote, relying on a concurrence in Bruin by Justice Brett Kavanaugh, who is joined by Chief Justice John Roberts. Kavanaugh reaffirmed the language in the 2008 decision in Heller versus District of Columbia that the Second Amendment was, quote, neither a regulatory straitjacket nor a regulatory blank check. States and the federal government could still adopt some restrictions on firearms. He specifically noted that the list of sensitive places referenced in the earlier case was not exhaustive. I, I'll be honest with you. Um, I, I, I don't necessarily agree with Jonathan Turley. When he says that uh, Governor Hochul and these other anti-gun politicians are hanging their hats on Brett Kavanaugh's concurrence, I don't think they give a damn about Brett Kavanaugh's concurrence any more than they care about Clarence Thomas's majority opinion. I, I think this is in defiance of the Supreme Court. This is not trying to use a concurring opinion uh, to uh, to bolster their case for new gun control laws. If so. Uh, again, we would have maybe see uh, that uh, these restrictions will be limited to expanding the roster of quote unquote sensitive places. But that's not what we're seeing at all. I, I, I think this is, again, this is outright defiance of what the Supreme Court has said. This isn't a, a, an attempt to comply with the uh, Supreme Court's decision. Jonathan Turley talks about the Concealed Carry Improvement Act, which was uh, the name of the <laughs> of the bill in New York. It does nothing, by the way, to uh, improve uh, the uh, right to carry a farm, as you well know. Uh, he says um, it has elements that are ripe for constitutional challenge. However, he says it was the first that was so striking. Indeed, it's hard to come up with a place that would be not that would not be declared special or sensitive. The list would seem to cover most areas outside of the home including government buildings, any location providing health, behavioral health, or chemical dependence care or services, any place of worship or religious observation, libraries, public playgrounds, public parks, zoos, the location of any state-funded or licensed programs, educational institutions, both in elementary and higher education, any vehicle used for public transportation, all public transit, including airports and bus terminals, 
Bars and restaurants, entertainment, gaming, and sporting events and venues, polling places, any public sidewalk or public area restricted for a special event and protests or rallies. Uh, that includes simply passing through Times Square. Turley goes on to note that uh, Montgomery County, Maryland officials have proposed to bar the legal right to carry firearms in or within 100 yards of a place of public assembly. Other states, he says, like California, are moving to bar permanent gun owners from carrying guns in any school grounds, college, university campuses, governments and judicial buildings, medical facilities, public transit, public parks, playgrounds, public demonstrations, and any place where alcohol is sold. Now, as Turley points out, that's not what the Supreme Court said. In Bruin. As a matter of fact, um, Justice Thomas, in the majority opinion, specifically said, listen, the idea that you could just make the island of Manhattan a sensitive place is not going to fly. There is a general right to carry in public for self-defense. And these provisions that Turley rattles off uh, from New York to California do not treat the right to carry as if it's a right at all, much less a, a general right to carry in public with, again, a few limited exceptions for sensitive places. What were those sensitive places that were mentioned by uh, Justice Thomas? Well, again, he mentioned schools. He mentioned uh, some government buildings, but not all government buildings. Uh, mentioned perhaps polling places. Basically, places where you would expect to have a heightened uh, security apparatus in place already. Those would be those sensitive places, places that have been deemed sensitive enough to protect them on their own. And the barring of concealed carry would be one element of uh, protection, but it could not be the only element of protection, the only thing. That makes a place sensitive, quote unquote, is that you can't lawfully carry a gun there. Well, I would argue that's not a sensitive place at all, nor is the state treating it as a sensitive place. Now, as I mentioned, Turley says that uh, he thinks uh, Hochul and others are relying on uh, 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 Brett Kavanaugh's concurrence, as well as uh, Chief Justice John Roberts' uh, moderation, right? As Turley writes, uh, Roberts is the ultimate incrementalist and institutionalist. As shown in his sole concurrence in the abortion decision in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health, he's not afraid to stand alone and seek any moderate compromise. However, he is not someone who relishes being treated as a chump. Well, few people are, right? So could Roberts be the lifeline? And actually, again, it would take, excuse me, it would take Roberts and Kavanaugh uh, voting against uh, these challenges, siding with the state of New York in order for these laws to be upheld. We had a 6-3 decision in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. So even if Chief Justice John Roberts decided, yeah, all this is okay, that's not enough to keep New York's laws in place. Now, uh, uh, Turley says that, um, quote, simply listing most of Manhattan as a sensitive place will again push the constitutional envelope. He says it'll force the court to again limit the authority of the states to shoulder the burden of balancing the individual right to gun ownership against the need to protect these places from the exercise of that right. And he says that in answering that question, the court is likely to ask how statistically lawful gun permit owners have caused or materially increased the public safety risk in those areas. Studies have generally not shown a clear relationship between restrictive gun permit laws and a significant decrease in gun violence. I, again, I'm going to disagree with Turley here. He's a constitutional lawyer. I, I hate to do that because I'm not. But uh, I, I did read the Bruin decision. Uh, I've read it several times, as a matter of fact. And it seems to me that Clarence Thomas 
explicitly rejected and the majority of the Supreme Court explicitly rejected this interest balancing test that Turley describes, where he said, well, the courts like to ask how statistically lawful gun permit owners have been. Have they caused, uh, you know, increased public safety uh, issues? Clarence Thomas says that's not the question. In fact, he said the problem with this two-step process that the lower courts have been using is that it adds an unnecessary step. What matters is not the government's interest in promoting public safety. That's sort of assumed, right? What matters is whether or not the government's attempt at uh, increasing public safety violates the right to keep and bear arms. And no longer will they have this get out of court free card where they can say, well, but we're doing it to, to, to save lives. We're doing it because we think it's going to make a difference. And then the lower courts say, oh, all right, well, good enough for me. I mean, yes, it is impacting people's segment rights, but because you've given us a legitimate reason, uh, sure, go ahead. That ends. That, that has ended. Instead, the new test as laid out again by Clarence Thomas, is up for the government to prove that the gun control laws in question comport not only with the text of the Second Amendment, but with the history and the tradition of how the right to keep and bear arms has been exercised throughout our nation's history, most particularly what the right to keep and bear arms meant at the time the Second Amendment was ratified in 1791, and at the time, the 14th Amendment was ratified after the Civil War. That's what matters. So, no, I don't think that the court is likely to ask. Maybe the uh, progressive justices, you know, the, the, the three uh, justices there on the Supreme Court who voted against striking down New York's unconstitutional laws. Maybe they will ask how statistically lawful concealed carry holders are. But that should not be a factor for a majority of the justices on the Supreme Court. Now, look, even if they did ask that question, we have the better argument. Concealed carry holders, generally speaking, are more law-abiding than the population at large. Uh, but, again, that is irrelevant. It's absolutely irrelevant to the fact that we have a right to keep and bear arms. Anyway, um, I thought this was an interesting piece by Jonathan Turley. Again, I, I, I think it was, it really only scratched the surface of what these blue states are trying to do in terms of the restrictions that they're putting in place. Because again, sensitive places is just one aspect of this. They're still trying to block the average citizen from being able to obtain a carry license through the use of these good moral character clauses. Again, entirely subjective, entirely up to the issue and authority as to whether or not you have the good moral character to exercise your constitutional right. Uh, the attempt in New York to uh, uh, peruse applicant social media, looking for anything that, uh, you know, might make them uh, furrow their eyebrows. And, oh, I don't know about that. I don't like that. None of those things are constitutional. Um, you know, Clarence Thomas did say in the Bruin decision, he mentioned that there were uh, a couple of states that had, quote-unquote, suitability standards. And he didn't call those suitability standards into question, which I have to say, I'm a little concerned about. I am, honestly. But he did make it clear in a footnote in the majority opinion 
that these three states that uh, use suitability uh, as a factor still do not deprive the vast majority of applicants of their right to carry. Uh, in, in, in theory, this subjective suitability standard exists, but in practice, again, if you pass a background check, you meet the training requirements, you get your carry license. I said uh, shortly after the Bruin decision came out that I was concerned about uh, the suitability language, and I wish that uh, Clarence Thomas would have taken a tougher approach to that. Because this is something I think that, uh, that that New York and California and other Anagon states are actually looking at. I don't think they're necessarily looking at Kavanaugh's concurrence. But I think that they are looking at that sort of wink and a nod uh, to suitability as long as it doesn't result in the average citizen being deprived of their ability to carry. I think they're hinging one of their uh, new uh, lines of infringement on the fact that uh, Clarence Thomas and the rest of the Supreme Court did not call those suitability standards into question. I think it's coming. Uh, again, I, we're, we're already seeing court challenges filed in New York State against the uh, law that was approved by Democrats just a uh, couple of weeks ago. And those lawsuits are, in fact, taking on the good moral character clause, the suitability language. Again, the uh, taking away the subjective ability of these issuing authorities to pick and choose who gets to exercise their rights based on their own personal feelings of, of you know, uh, a individual's personality, uh, of their, uh, their friends, of what they've said online. I don't think any of those things are constitutional. But uh, we'll soon have a chance to find out because, again, as I said, Multiple lawsuits already underway. More are coming. It is a supercharged time for the Second Amendment right now, which is one of the reasons why I'm glad that you're watching and paying attention to what's going on here, because we definitely need gun owners who are involved and informed uh, and are active right now in defense of their right to keep and bear arms. Now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day and our recidivist report. We will start there. Case out of Chicago. Uh, credit to the website CWB Chicago reporting that a man has been charged with shooting a Chicago police officer just four months after prosecutors dropped a felony gun case that he was facing. Yeah, felon in possession case, uh, to be specific. So uh, this individual, uh, Jabari Edwards, he's 28 years old, no relation, uh, was arrested on Wednesday of this week in uh, Burlington, Iowa, by Fugitive Task Force. He's been uh, brought back to uh, Chicago now to face charges for allegedly shooting a police officer during a traffic stop back on June the 1st. CWB Chicago reported the day after the shooting that Edwards had been on electronic monitoring while he was awaiting trial for being a felon in possession of a firearm until they say prosecutors, quote, abruptly dropped the case in February, four months before the officer was shot. So why did that happen? According to court records, Edwards was charged with unlawful use of a weapon by a felon in October of 2020 after police say they found a loaded handgun under the driver's side door of a uh, uh, under the driver's side floor mat uh, of a, a car that he was driving. He apparently was not the registered owner of the vehicle. During his bail hearing the same day, an assistant state's attorney said police stopped him for a traffic violation, smelled alcohol coming from the car. The uh, gun made a, quote, visible bulge in the floor mat. Uh, adding that Edwards had been convicted of attempted robbery back in 2012. Edwards was able to post $500 bail to go home and remain on electronic monitoring. 
And then again, four months later, the state drops all charges. According to court records from the February hearing, prosecutors said that they received new information, including documents that showed that the person who owned the car that Edwards was driving purchased the gun and possessed a valid firearm owner's ID card, as well as a concealed carry license. All of which is fine and good. Doesn't change the fact that the owner of that car was not in the vehicle at the time. Edwards was with a gun there in the driver's side floor mat. And think about that for a second. Wouldn't you notice that? If the officers were able to see a visible bulge in the floor mat, wouldn't you as the driver of the car, wouldn't your foot have kicked that bulge at some point, either when you were getting in, maybe uh, as you're you know, moving your uh, a foot from the, uh, the gas to the brake? I, I, I'm, I'm not buying this excuse. Sometimes these things happen. I get it. If the gun had been in the trunk of the car, okay, I can, I can maybe understand. Prosecutors dropping the charges. Well, how could uh, Edwards have known that the gun was there? It wasn't visible to him. It wasn't, uh, you know, inside the actual uh, vehicle itself, or at least not in an accessible area of the vehicle. But that wasn't the case here. And I, I got to say, I mean, this really does seem like another disturbing instance of Cook County prosecutors going soft on criminals while trying to make life incredibly difficult for legal law-abiding gun owners. Today's armed citizen story from Largo, Florida, where a homeowner shot an intruder that police say invaded two separate homes on Wednesday of this week. Um, we have a little bit of information, not, not as much as I think we'll get. But uh, this was Wednesday morning, uh, just before 6.30. Largo police responded to a call uh, involving a man that had been shot. man identified as 29-year-old Jeffrey Smith. Officers say that the initial investigation showed that Smith entered the home of a man by forcing his way into the front door as it was opened by the homeowner. He then entered the residence acting in a, quote, erratic and paranoid state and scaring the man as he ran outside to get help. So as the homeowner attempted to get the attention of his neighbors, Smith then followed behind, kicked the door of another house, trying to gain entry, but wasn't able to do so. Meanwhile, the first homeowner, able to make contact with a nearby neighbor, Smith is still following him. And while the victim is at his neighbor's house asking for help, Smith approached that home, uh, acting in, quote, a suspicious manner before he ultimately ran up to the front door and illegally entered after both victims had retreated inside. Largo police say that Smith was, quote, shot during this incident and is presently receiving medical treatment, where he's currently listed in critical but stable condition. Alcohol or narcotics appear to be a factor in this case. Right now, Smith facing uh, two counts of burglary to an occupied dwelling. The uh, homeowner, who acted in self-defense, not expected to be facing any charges at all. Finally today, our good deed of the day from Louisville, Kentucky, where uh, Louisville police officers have uh, helped out a young mom uh, improve her ride for her kids by uh, giving her a brand new car seat. Second Division officers um, met the mom in the photo above and discovered that her child was not in a, uh, a great car seat for the, uh, the age of the child. So uh, Sergeant Wire with the uh, Louisville Metro Police Department reached out to their community engagement unit, uh, and they were able to get her a brand new car seat. Uh, Sergeant Wire is there in the photo along with uh, officers Trumbo, Brown, and Harris uh, presenting the new car seat to the mom. The community engagement unit uh, is supposed to help build public trust. 
which in turn is supposed to help the public uh, be more amenable to working with police to try to stop violent crime. So, uh, you know, in this case, I don't know that it's going to lead to a, a tip for a, a violent crime that gets solved, but I know there was a good thing to do for the mom in question. So in the right place, at the right time, we'll enable to do the right thing. We thank these officers with the uh, Louisville Metro Police Department. Now, that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program, as always. We'll be back on Monday with another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. Hopefully, I'm going to have uh, my internet issues resolved. It'll be a little bit easier to get guests on the program. We've been having to switch to a, a, a new internet service, and it's been a, a bit of a challenge over the past couple of days. So I appreciate you bearing with me. I know sometimes sometimes the monologues are great. Sometimes you're like, yeah, yeah, get to it, Cam. I want to I hear somebody else talk for a while. So I promise we're going to have a lot more of that coming up next week. In the meantime, I would encourage you to check out BarryAndArms.com, where I'm not the only writer. We've got uh, Tom Knighton. We've got John Petrolino, Ranjit Singh, and uh, maybe bringing on some new voices here in the not-too-distant future as well. We'll get you caught up on all of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. If you like what you see, you can always become a VIP subscriber as well. Just go to BarryAndArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS. You'll get a significant savings. And we thank you for it. Have a great weekend, everybody. Be safe, have fun, and be well.